Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Here to help us wrap up another astonishing week in American politics is the Pope's favorite conservative, Bill Kristol. Bill, peace be upon you. You, Michael. I never thought I'd get an email from a campaign, you know, with a subject line response of Donald J. Trump to the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> you really do wonder what planet we're living on here. Of all the things that Donald Trump has done for the Pope to complain about, to pick that one, but this is, I think this is yet another win for Donald Trump. It keeps a focus on an issue that he loves, and he didn't do what you and I know that Jeb or Mitt or McCain would have done, which is kind of back up and grovel and, oh, I respect the Holy Father. No, he stood up and said, hey, this is my position, and he lives behind a wall, and that's exactly what Trump supporters want to hear. Yeah, I think that's probably right, unfortunately. I mean, Nikki Haley, the popular governor of South Carolina, had endorsed Marco Rubio. People on the ground thought Rubio had some momentum. Cruz, I think, was solidifying his hold on the more conservative voters in the state. And then suddenly the Pope butts in. Trump defends a wall. I've got to think 85% of South Carolinians, whatever their personal respect for the Pope might be, think that, A, why is he getting involved in a Republican primary? And, B, don't most countries guard their borders, and doesn't the Vatican have walls around it, and didn't Christendom have an awful lot of walls? It seems like I've visited an awful lot of, you know, uh, walled <laughs> cities and uh, ruined walls and functioning walls uh, throughout the Christian world, and suddenly uh, you're not allowed to have walls. I mean, I just think it, it set up a nice uh, contrast or conflict for Trump, which just uh, distracted people from all the other things he's been saying, that Bush lied us into war, that it's now come out that he supported the Iraq war in 2002, Trump did, um, he, the money going to veterans groups, we've reported on our website, uh, Michael Warren has a nice piece, uh, probably most of it hasn't really gone to veterans groups, the money that Trump raised, all these other good issues against Trump, and the pump, and the pump gives him the one issue that uh, he's going to be able to rally his supporters on. Uh, that's uh, right in Trump's wheelhouse. And I also say having, uh, you know, being from South Carolina, uh, as far as the Catholic population, you can visit them. They're in a little encampment. You can see the one Catholic family in uh, South Carolina, remember. Uh, But um, what do you think that the center of gravity for Trump has shifted at all? Because there's, you know, the polls are all over the place. And on the one hand, we have a bunch of national polls with one outlier, the Wall Street Journal poll showing Trump solidly in the upper 30s, edging up towards 40%. And yet, on the other hand, you see uh, polls that show apparent softening in South Carolina. And so I I, I don't know. Is it, you, you keep saying this has to be the moment where Trump has crossed the line, when he says that there are secret documents showing that Bush knew about 9-11 before it happened and don't, you know, it's crazy stuff like that. But I can't point to anything definitive. Where is the Trump brand tarnished at all, or is he like? Is this like as I said to uh, someone in a podcast show this week? Is all this negativity just feeding uranium to Godzilla? It would kill anyone else, but it makes the monster stronger. Right, or how many straws can, you know, does any straw ever break the back of the Trump campaign or Trump's momentum? It's unclear, I would say. I do, I've talked to enough people in South Carolina, people who have access to private polls, good polls, I mean, serious polls that people want to know the right result. They're not, they're not leaking them for, you know, for other right. purposes, which do suggest some softening of Trump that people say it looks a little more like Iowa. Not that he's not going to win, but he'll be in the 20s, perhaps not the 30s. And I think that will make a difference. I think if you have a final result that's, I don't know, Trump 28, you know, Cruz 20. 
for Rubio 20 or something like that, that's an awfully different race going forward than Trump 35, Cruz right. 18, Rubio 13, you know. So it would, that's, I think, important what happens tomorrow night. And we'll see. And, uh, you know, as you said, some of the polls show Trump strong, both nationally and South Carolina. Some show him taking on some water. I mean, he endorsed an individual mandate uh, yesterday. There's so much stuff going on, no one's even noticing this stuff. Jeff Anderson has a post, I think, that'll be up in a few minutes by the time this podcast is up, uh, just quoting Trump, saying, yeah, he's actually for an individual mandate, probably the most hated part of Obamacare mm-hmm. by conservatives, by the public, actually, probably unconstitutional, despite that 5-4 to four court decision. And uh, Trump is in, all in favor of individual mandates. So you look at Obamacare, uh, you look at what, he's been, what he says about George W. Bush purposely lying us into war. You look at all these other things he's been saying, and you think, uh, you know, finally, perhaps there's an accumulation of enough reasons for different voters to decide for different reasons in a way that Donald Trump shouldn't be their nominee, or, or for them just to decide for one big reason, which is he's just too uh, unserious, too erratic, uh, too much of a showman, not enough of a potential commander-in-chief and president. Uh, people also thought that Nino Scalia's death would sort of focus people on the fact that the next president will select Supreme Court justices, something that Trump has no interest in, that he's said foolish things about, his sister is a big liberal judge, and so forth. So I guess I continue to think there's an awful lot of vulnerability there, and at some point the rules of politics haven't been totally suspended, and the vulnerabilities make it vulnerable. But we'll see. Oh, our naive, blissful Bill Crystal here exactly. on the podcast. So uh, it was an interesting moment in South Carolina when Nikki Haley uh, uh, of Indian descent, uh, S- Senator Tim Scott, uh, black conservative Republican, uh, Marco Rubio and Trey Gowdy, a solid Southern uh, Republican from the upstate, kind of the classic Southerner, you know, conservative Southerner white uh, uh, office holder. And uh, Nikki Haley said, here it is. You know, it's like our our, our party is now a Benetton ad. <laughs> and I thought that was a, it was a fun line. It was an interesting line. But it also, to me, Bill, raises the question of can Republican voters be convinced? Can they be reached through all the noise to to take a bigger picture of the of this race, which is thanks to Scalia passing and no uh, Senate, no uh, replacement being appointed until next year. The Senate at risk. If you have Donald Trump at the top of the ticket, you could easily lose control of the Senate. But this is really an election for control of the whole government. And here you have this team, kind of like the, the for ki- p- people familiar with kids TV back in the day, the Super Friends. You know, they're, they're up there and they can do it all. You've got Wonder Woman. You've got, you've got everybody. You, you have a, the kind of team that could truly give the Republicans a solid majority and the ability to actually do the stuff that they've talked about for a decade can voters see that, or are they just so have they just completely given up on the idea that anything positive can happen that they're just going to throw in the hand grenade and walk away? Well, it's the right question. I mean, we've all been saying that this is such a consequential election because the court is at stake uh, and the presidency, and really the Senate, either literally in the sense of a Republican majority or in effect, because if Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders wins, the Republican majority would either be lost or go down to a very, very tiny one, and you know, the momentum of a third straight Democratic term would overwhelm, I think, whatever, you know, enough Republican senators so the Democratic president would get his or her legislative agenda through. So everything's at stake. And, you know, if you put aside Trump for a minute, uh, you've got very attractive, still, I think I'd say, Republican candidates, two 45-year-old, very impressive 
Cuban-American senators of modest origins. You don't have the Romney, you know, son of a governor and super rich guy problem. You don't have the John McCain, been in Washington for 30 years problem. Uh, you don't have the Bob Dole problem. I mean, and I like and respect all those men, but I, I would say you should have a good nominee this year with a good agenda against President Obama. And it really is, a, this is a test of the Republican Party. I mean, I, I really do believe that. Can they make the constitutional issue? Take this issue on in the Senate now. We have a good piece by Terry Eastland, actually two editorials, Terry Eastland and Jeff Anderson, uh, urging Republicans to hang tough in not confirming an Obama nominee. And Terry makes the point in the editorial also, and there's really no need to even have hearings, because the point isn't that, is he a good nominee? Is he good at evading questions or parrying with senators? I mean, he probably will be. I mean, whoever Obama nominates will probably be intelligent and good at that kind of thing. That's not the point. Whoever not Obama nominates will take the court in a liberal direction, will take the Constitution further away from the original meaning of the Constitution. If the Republican Party stands for anything these days, presumably it's a return to constitutional originalism of some kind or other. There are interesting intellectual debates about exactly how to do that, but that's what Dino Scalia stood for. That's what the Tea Party stands for. That's what Republican presidential candidates have pledged to do. So stand firm against an Obama nominee. I think that could be a very good fight for Republicans politically, but it will require them to make a case. Obama, President Obama will make his arguments. He's not going to go quietly into the night on this. He'll, he'll be echoed by law professors, by the media, by the entire kind of intellectual liberal apparatus. So it'll be a good test for the Republicans. I think it's one they can pass. They should be able to pass it. They've got enough bright people on their side, both in the Senate and out, uh, legal thinkers and others. But uh, yeah, they're not going to win just by playing it safe or hunkering down or hoping that, gee, after two terms, you know, a party usually loses the White House. They're going to have to win the White House. Uh, Harry Reid says that, quote, McConnell and the Republicans will absolutely cave on the issue of uh, filling this uh, Supreme Court seat. Do you agree? I don't think so. I've actually, you know, just this morning gotten three or four emails from people, uh, actually a couple from senators, a couple from Senate staffers, uh, who had seen already Terry Eastland and Jeff Anderson's editorials saying, you know, we're there, we're hanging, we're, we're tough. There's some tactical issues about how to frame it and how to play it. A couple of individual Republican senators, you know, can't resist sort of saying silly things, you know, that they want to seem reasonable when they're giving an interview to their local paper. So they right. say, oh, well, we have an open mind. But they really should just take the position that with all due respect to whoever President Obama nominates, uh, he's going to take the court in a direction that the, majority, the Republican Senate doesn't want and the reason the Republican Senate won in 2014 was to prevent President Obama from doing something like this so let the voters decide in 2016 they just need to make that argument over and over again there are plenty of uh, you know there's plenty of historical and constitutional uh, material for them to marshal in support of that argument so no I guess I don't think they cave, they'll cave I think if they cave on this it will be catastrophic both for the Constitution but also politically and I, I don't think they'll do that you know it's interesting this uh, moment of tremendous opportunity when you could conceivably have the Republican Party present to America, you know, Marco Rubio and another young dynamic leader versus, you know, Hillary Clinton, whose you know, expired date was sometime in the 1990s. Or you could have uh, a collapse on the Supreme Court fight or the nomination of Donald Trump, either of which, in my opinion, would end the existence of the Republican Party. It would just be gone. There'd be the splinters. Other stuff would happen. And I don't know what that future would be. Uh, and so that's how momentous the vote of a couple hundred thousand people in South Carolina is on Saturday. 
Well, that's no, it is a very important primary, though I don't think it's over just because, you know, even if Trump were to win or even win comfortably the third state, there's still 47 more states. But now, look, this is a huge year, and, and I think you're right. What do they say in the stock market? It's a high beta. You know, there's a high variance, a high – it could either be very, very good right. for conservatism or very, very bad for conservatism or obviously somewhere in between. Uh, we'll know more, I think, of where we're going Saturday night after South Carolina votes, but there are a heck of a lot more votes to come still, and people shouldn't be too fatalistic or, or get too cute. Everyone loves to do this, you know, after three primaries. It's over, you know, we now, now we know everything. Uh, I think especially this year, that's really not the case with how many zigs and zags there have been. But look, the big picture is what we started with. Donald Trump has been strong for six months. He, uh, Cruz nipped him and beat him in Iowa, and, but he then came back strong in New Hampshire. Uh, he's been holding the lead with the national lead for, what, six, seven months, I think, mm-hmm. now. And so it will be a huge deal if he, would be a huge deal if he lost in South Carolina. But even if it gets close in South Carolina, it suggests a real three-way, presumably, race going forward. And that's very different from, you know, uh, sort of almost even three-way race is a very different scenario from uh, a sort of dominant front runner and a couple of people trying to catch him. So I think that's why so much hinges on, on South Carolina Saturday night. And what a state for everything. <laughs> As uh, James Pettigrew said in 1860, too small for a republic, too large for an insane asylum. Uh, my home state. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Michael. Talk Saturday night. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.